0: The Elder, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continued to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Good morning, everyone. I'm Jonathan Coleman, one of the pastors here at Anderson Hills. It's so good to be with you here in the worship center. And then also, I want to welcome those who are joining us through our live stream. We are in our final week of a series where we examine the letters that were written by the Apostle John. I want to ask you a question to kick off this morning. Are you ready for Thanksgiving? Are you ready? Oh, yeah. Does that question bring dread or excitement? Huh? It brings a lot of excitement for me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Think for a moment about the special privilege of hospitality. By special invitation or with a surprise knock, company arrives, and with those people come the promise of the possibility of Soiled floors, extra dishes to be washed, food and drink consumed, possibly good times or drama. It's an inconvenience. Is it an inconvenience or a hearty welcome? From sharing a meal to providing a bed, hospitality, it does cost in time, energy, and money. Think about it. Most of us will be experiencing hospitality this week, as we gather together. Thanksgiving's one of those top two gatherings of the year. I've already prepared. I bought the uh, stuffing, the crumbs for my mom's famous oyster dressing. I call my mom every year. That's not it. This is not it. It doesn't look like that. Trust me. <laughs> I, I call my mom every year to make sure I got the recipe right. Uh, The oysters, the stuffing, I consider it a delicacy, I do. If you like oysters, oh, it's good, it's good. It's packed with flavor. In the next few days, we'll be receiving guests or we will be received as a guest. And how we treat others reflects our true value and what's really important to us. Do you see people as objects and inconveniences or as unique creations of a loving God, even grumbling Uncle Harry, possibly. Perhaps the most effective way to demonstrate God's values and Christ's love for others is to invite and welcome guests into our homes. Jesus was always talking about hospitality, throwing parties, and receiving people, especially in his parables about the kingdom. Of God. All of us, we are ambassadors of kingdom hospitality. So today we get to stand over the shoulder of the Apostle John as he writes his uh, third letter to a man named Gaius. And in this short 15 verse letter, we get to see lessons for life and actually a lesson about hospitality. We get to hear about the actions of three men. It's a tale of three men. Last Sunday, we examined the truth and love and obedience in the second letter of John, which deals with the question, what should you do when false teachers arrive at your door? This week, we deal with the opposite question. What what should you do when you receive godly teachers that come knocking On your door. If last week was about bad guys knocking, this week is about good guys knocking. This short little epistle contains a fascinating snapshot of three personalities in the first century church. We don't know uh, where the church was located. Scholars assume it was in modern day Turkey. That's funny, (laughs) modern day Turkey. But it's not certain. This letter was written around A.D., 90. So let's look at this together and briefly see a snapshot of three lives. To my dear friend, Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. Gaius. That's the first name that we see. John evidently knows him and addresses him in a warm and friendly way in this letter. We gather from the letter that Gaius is beloved by John, and he has some amazing qualities. And from these elements that we read about Gaius, he reminds me of old Fezziwig from Charles Dickens, (laughs) A Christmas Carol. Gaius is jolly and full of joy. He's putting everything aside And pouring his money and his heart and his resources with a sincere focus of lifting people up into a higher reality through his hospitality. So the first quality we see about John's dear friend Gaius was he had a strong soul. He was strong in soul. And this warmed John's heart. That's a wonderful thing to say about a person, isn't it? John says to Gaius, I wish that you could be as strong in body as you are in spirit. You know, it would be interesting to apply this test to people today. If your physical appearance reflected your spiritual state, what would you look like? Would you be uh, robust, individual, strong and fit? Or would your spirit be weak and scrawny, barely able to move? Well, Gaius was the sort of man... Whom the apostle John could say, Brother, your soul is strong like bull. It is. But I wish your body could be the same. So you get the impression that John knows that Gaius has some health problems, but he knows for a fact that Gaius's soul is strong. And so John loved and he prayed for Gaius. Gaius also had a wonderful reputation, he had a good rep. John continues, writing this in John 3 uh, 3 through 4. He says it gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling me how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Folks, think about reputation for just a moment. It is so invaluable. We can do so much with a solid reputation. We can use our reputation to build up others and promote the kingdom of God. People testified about Gaius's reputation. His name brought life to people's ears. He's well known for his faithfulness to the truth. Proverbs 22 says, 22.1 says, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. I found a wonderful Shakespeare quote in his play, King Richard II, as he wrote these memorable lines, the purest treasure mortal times afford is a spotless reputation. Mine honor is my life, both grow in one. Take honor from me and my life is done. You see, God can help form and solidify our reputation as we walk in truth. And we see that from this letter that John writes. And that's what Gaius does next. He does show that he walked in the truth and it was a priority for him. This is a common theme in John's letters, walking in truth. People shared how Gaius's faithfulness to the truth of Jesus Christ was evident in his life and how he continued to walk in that manner of truth. I think if John the Elder was here today, if he was going to say one line to us He would say, dear children, walk in truth. It's a common theme as we've seen through the past several weeks in his letter. So what does it mean to walk in truth? It means we enter each day with our minds renewed by the saturation of the word of God and prayer and the disciplines we practice as scripture. Praying that our thoughts are the thoughts of God. Our our thoughts are the thoughts of Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. The source of truth is God himself, so we need to start with him. That means on a daily basis, we need the Holy Spirit to fill us with his guidance as we live out and turn the word into action. Psalm 26, 3 says, Your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in you. Your truth. We experience that from the loving kindness God gives through the ministry of His Holy Spirit and in His Word. John continues to identify Gaius's qualities. And so in 3 John 5 through 8, he says, Dear friend, you are faithful into what you're doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. And he's talking about these uh, Christian missionaries. They have told you, the church, church about your love. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. For it was for the sake of the name that they went out receiving no help from pagans. We ought to therefore show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for truth. You see, in the first century, Christian missionaries traveled from place to place, town to town, to carry out and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they didn't stay usually in inns. They would find a Christian home to stay in. In the first century hospitality, Christians were known for their hospitality, opening up their homes to these traveling missionaries. So we see that this is what Gaius did, that he was hospitable toward all. He warmly received complete strangers. He took care of their needs. I was reading this week a a news article. It was a fascinating story. And I want to read this article to you. It says, What began as a wrong text from a Phoenix, Arizona grandmother to a 17-year-old stranger has become a relationship going strong for nearly six years. Back in November 2016, Wanda Dench thought she was texting her grandmother, or or not her grandmother, texting her grandson an invite to Thanksgiving dinner. But the text went to a 17-year-old boy that she didn't even know. Jamal Hinton was sitting in class when he got this message and after texting her back and clearing up the fact that he was not her grandson, she still told him that there was a plate for him at their Thanksgiving table. She said, that's what grandmas do. They feed everyone. So he showed up. (laughs) He showed up. And, and I pulled these pictures, pictures out of this news article. Year after year, for the past six years, they celebrate Thanksgiving together. Last Sunday, Hinton tweeted an update We're all set for year six. Was it a mistake, text? Or was it a divine appointment, a godsidence made to bring these two people together? And we see Wanda's hospitality. I love this story. You see folks, hospitality warms the heart. Especially our own heart. The word hospitality has the word hospital in it. A hospital makes people well again. Biblical hospitality is doing what Gaius did. He helped meet people's physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. Our lives, our generosity through hospitality should be opened to everyone. What would this Thanksgiving look like if you practice biblical hospitality? Truly welcoming, loving, making people feel well again, filling the belly, helping people meet needs that they can't meet for themselves. So these are the qualities of this man named Gaius. The next person mentioned in this letter is Diotrephes. I've been practicing that name, saying that name all week, Diotrephes. We're going to look at John's description of Diotrephes. Let's look at 3 John 9 through 10. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. You see, first and foremost, you see, Diotrephes was a self-promoter. And John is ticked off at this guy. You see, Diotrephes had to be first among people. You really get a picture from this reading that Diotrephes was the type of person who had to be seen when the church assembled, and evidently he was one of the church leaders in the area where Gaius lived. He would be the type of person that would come in fashionably late to a church assembly so that everybody else could see him, maybe at a a large gathering that was very important. Jesus warned about self-promoters in Matthew 6, 5. He said, when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by people. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. You see, Jesus gives us a warning in Matthew 23 about self-promotion. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will will be exalted. I read about an applicant who was being interviewed for a job and the employer held a very glowing letter of reference with compliments that were in high regard from the about the applicant and he was very impressed and he said to the applicant, "Man, this was incredible." And the applicant said, "I'm glad you like it. <laughs> I wrote it about myself." <laughs> I really think that that was Diotrephes. He had that kind of character. Next, Diotrephes was insubordinate. Diotrephes would not accept the authority of the apostles. And because the authority of the apostles was the same as the authority of God in those times, Diotrephes was really rejecting God's advancement in his life and God's word. Folks, followership is just as vital as leadership. Followership is just as vital as leadership. What kind of follower you are tells a lot about what kind kind of leader you will become or what kind of leader you currently are. In the church, we have those who lead us spiritually. I love reading and listening to sermons preached by other pastors, especially here at Anderson Hills. I'll tune in to John Ferguson's uh, sermon on the way home from church today. I love listening to that, so I just try to grab that spiritual authority as he being my senior leader. My preaching professor, Dr. Ellsworth Callis, told us that before a sermon was to begin, no matter if it was a student preaching Or the president of the seminary, he would posture his life to receive a word from God. He would say, and he said this in our our preaching class, he would say, This is my preacher. And he said, Students, when you get up to preach, don't think I'm just grading you. I am listening for a word from God from you. Boy, that would make me shake in my shoes. (laughs) But Dr. Callas, God rest his soul was obedient to the word, and he postured his life to the authority of God, no matter who was proclaiming God's word. Evidently, Diotrephes did not have that kind of attitude. There was no spiritual authority in his life. Next, we see that Diotrephes was slanderous, that he was a gossiper. John says that Diotrephes was spreading malicious nonsense. Folks, we have to remember that gossip is a sin, that slander is a sin, and we dare not do those things. There's a 19th century folktale about a young fellow who went around town slandering the town's wise man. One day he went to the wise man's home to ask for forgiveness. And the wise man, realizing that this man had not internalized the gravity of his transgressions, he told him that he would forgive him on one condition. That he go home, take a feather pillow from his house, cut it up, climb the nearest mountain and scatter those feathers to the wind. After he had done so, he said, you should return back to me and we'll talk. So puzzled by this strange request, this man did it. He went home, he grabbed a pillow, he cut it open, and he spread it into the winds on the mountain. And the feathers went everywhere, blowing. He went back to this wise man's house. He said, Am I now forgiven? He said, Just one more thing, the wise man said. I want you to go and gather up every feather that was in that pillow. The man said, that's impossible. That's impossible. The wind has already scattered them everywhere across the countryside. The wise man said, precisely. And though you may truly wish to correct the evil you have done, it's impossible to repair the damage that your words have done to me. Your words are out there in the marketplace, spreading hate, even as we speak. This is what Diotrephes was doing spreading slander about John. Proverbs 10:18 said, "Whoever hides hatred has lying lips, and whoever spreads slander is a fool." We must guard our lives against gossip and slander. We don't know what happened to Diotrephes. We don't know if John confronted him face to face, John did say that he was going to come back and see uh, Gaius. We have to remember in these, just from these two individuals that God can change a heart. God is in the heart-changing business, my friends. And God wants to see that business boom. Our actions, don't our actions come from our hearts? The Bible emphasizes that we do evil because our hearts are evil. Jesus could not be any clearer. He said, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. And this means that we need God to change our hearts if we hope to live changed lives. The psalmist understood this so perfectly well when he said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me we need changed hearts to avoid evil actions and we need God to do the changing and like I said God is in the heart changing business Diotrephes had a heart problem he did and it came out of his actions by way of slander self-promotion and insubordination see, good actions help to mold and shape our hearts into vehicles of biblical value and objects of beauty. Think about it. Actions are our words. It speaks about our life. If we focus our time thinking about advancing God's kingdom and, and focus our energy trying to spread his glory, our hearts will radiate with love. The love of God will drive all that we do and it will spill over into the lives of others. Gaius radiated a strong soul, a biblical hospitality, and a life of truth, and his amazing reputation was widespread in that area. What heart habits are you practicing? What heart habits are we practicing? Gaius had a good heart. And his heart practiced good habits. Naturally, we do not do any of the above to earn God's love. In Christ, God gives his love freely to help aid and keep our hearts cleansed. Freely, freely. You remember that old song? Freely, freely, you have received. Freely, freely give. Go in my name. And because you believe, others will know that I live. Our heart practices will be evident as we live out the actions of God in these ways like Gaius. You see, we can experience God's forgiveness in our heart and in his love will become permeable to receive the qualities that we see in Gaius. Let's close this letter out. Let's look at 3 John 13 through 15, and he's writing to Gaius, Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken by everyone, and even by truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. He said, I have uh, much to write to you. But I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we'll talk face to face. Peace be with you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. And with this, we pass on to a third man described in this letter. It's Demetrius. We know little about him. His, only, his name is only spoken one time. But everything we know about him is positive, positive. He's probably the guy who carried this letter from John to Gaius. Demetrius is well spoken by everyone and there was probably a chain of command that happened here. So we see that Demetrius was probably a mentor. John was Demetrius's mentor and Demetrius appears to be a good example to Gaius. Gaius probably drew from the Christian action well of Demetrius. And so we see this mentorship. I want to ask you a question. Who are you a pattern for? Who are you a pattern for? Who are you mentoring? Who are you pouring your love into and God's truth into? You see, people are looking for patterns, my friend, my friends. Many folks don't know how to live in a way that pleases God. And it's not entirely their fault. It's probably learned behaviors from someone. Probably from the lies of the world. Maybe this holiday season, you can begin to pour into others and create a pattern helping people in their mentorship. I think of all the incredible people that I watched and learned from that make me up. There's all parts of people within me. Today, I have bits of coaches and neighbors and friends and loved ones and youth leaders and pastors that, that make up who I am in here and here. So we've went through this letter. We just looked at a whole letter in the Bible in one sitting. Three men John knew. And in this letter, we see how these people live their lives. We're nearing the threshold of the holidays, my friends. I was telling folks yesterday at our Fresh Expression at Faith and Friends on Tap that we're about to begin this journey into Advent. Can you believe it? In the Christmas season. This morning, you know what? I think, what's a good way to begin a journey than to pray together? And the prayer that came to mind Right after I wrote this sermon was a prayer by a forefather, St. Francis of Assisi. I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me this morning as a great way to begin this season. Let's pray together. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Amen.